Hey besties, welcome back to Bad Bitch Vibes. We're your co-hosts, Courtney, Glenna, and Tezra. A little bit about today's episode, Traumatized Bitches, is a trigger warning. We are going to be talking about our personal stories, and a lot of those personal stories will um, include essay and emotional abuse and things that might uh, trigger you. So if you need a switch off now, go ahead and do it. We're going to have more episodes for you later, but keep on listening if, if you're down to, uh, to learn a little bit more about us. This is a very important topic for us today, um, trauma and healing. During this episode, and we're going to discuss the importance of mental health in order to deal with that trauma that many of us face. I don't think any of us, anybody in the world is really free of some form of trauma. So I think this is going to be really helpful um, with us telling our stories and discussing that program that did change our lives. Um, We'll also discuss about other tools that have helped us maintain our progress and deal with any other struggles that we've faced. Life is life. We're going to continue to have struggles. And what are we doing to make sure that we can maintain our mental stability as much as possible? I think, Glenna, you're going to start off with your story. So all my trauma started at age six and it didn't stop until age 18. I had six sexual abusers in my life. Some were close, some were not. And it's, most would think that you can't ever get over that because I thought that for 25 years. And I blamed a lot of my life on other people instead of pointing fingers to myself of saying, you know, there's something wrong with me, I'm not perfect. But instead, I was pointing at other people saying that they're not perfect. They're the problem. I just need to go. I was a runner in a lot of stuff in my life. And that goes into play with what happened to me at a young age. I also didn't have a good, how would you say it, like a cement of a family. My father was either gone. Um, I was always just me, my mom, and my brother. And I didn't really have that structured home. I've wanted that in my life. I've kept it somewhat in that way. But it's something that I didn't ever want my kids to experience because it's it wasn't it wasn't easy. In the times that I went through SA at, at a young age, I always just wanted my father there, and I, I couldn't I couldn't have him there because my mom and my dad were separated for a very long time at that time. How old were you again? Six. Yeah, and a little bit about Glenna. I'm just gonna throw in there is. You matured early in life because of your condition. Right. And it wasn't fair to me, myself. No. I didn't really have, I didn't get to really be a girl, like a little bit of girl. But, you know, in that time that all that was going on too, I was a very sick girl. I had epilepsy at a very young age. It started at age, I think it's about three or four. My mom's not too sure when that all started. But it happened when I didn't want to take a bath and I was running around naked and I slipped on a towel and I hit, you know, those wooden frame TVs back in the day, slipped, ran into that, sliced open my head at the back of the days. It was the the equipment that medical people had back then. They couldn't really detect any damage as much as they can now to the brain. And I think that's what caused it, my epilepsy, because I wasn't born with it. It happened um, when I hit my head. Your mom and I talked a little bit on the the road trip about that. And I think she said 
age of three is when she was taking you to the doctor, like multiple doctors. Yeah, I went to a lot of doctors because no one could ever really figure out what was going on. And then finally she found one. The time that that happened, my mom went into, had to go into emergency surgery. She had to get a um, hysterectomy. And at that time, my mom couldn't be there. So my grandma and my stepdad at the time had to take me in and take me to get all my stuff done while my mom was in surgery. What that what that consisted of was I had to get a bunch of tests ran um, over my brain to find out like what's going on. I had multiple seizures in that time of them testing. And uh, so they put me on, I don't know what medicine it was, but it was a very big orange pill I remember taking every single day. And because I started that at a young age, uh, surprisingly enough, at age nine, I grew out of it. I guess you could say in a way. The doctor said it could possibly come back, but it hasn't to this day. But it what would trigger my seizures, I'd have the ones that your brain falls asleep and you stay still and you just bleed, you're in a blank stare. I didn't have the shaking kind. Yeah, she said that you were having up to 100 a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the they believe that the medication actually kick-started your puberty at the age of... I had a period at age eight. I had pubic hairs at age eight. I had boobs. I had to get a bra at age nine. And not a lot of girls go through that Mm -hmm. at that age. Um, So it was something my mother just didn't really, she had a hard time dealing with. And I get that. I would freak out to myself. And to this day, I still have hair problems. I have more hair than usual. I have to wax my face under the chin. I grow more hair than usual females, but it's okay because I'm beautiful and I love myself the way I am and it's not going to bother me to this day. Back in the day, it did. It was very embarrassing, like super embarrassing. But going through that and everything else I went through, I didn't truly understand what love was. Mm -hmm. I thought love was a completely different way. I thought love was opening my legs, Yeah, you know, and that was hard for me to realize. And I realized that about... I realized that back in 2017, and we'll go over that here in just a little bit on what came of that. But an unconditional love was very hard to understand, too. So when you say that didn't realize it, are you referring to love itself and your understanding or your misinterpretation of it? You felt like um, in order to show love, give love, or receive love, it had to be physical. Mm-hmm. And you didn't realize that that was your thought process until much later in life. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's so hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's where a lot of us struggle is just not realizing what broken thought patterns we have that develop at young, uh, young ages like that. You know, we think, at least when I was young, I really thought I knew everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, thought I, I had it figured day, out. I think I know everything. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't tell her husband. Back in 2004, um, I moved out, met a guy that I thought I was in love with. I wanted, really, we just moved in together really quick because I wanted just to move out of my mom's house and he wanted to move out of his parents' house. So we kind of just got an apartment together and then we got a dog within a couple of months and then it just turned into a long relationship to where after four years we got married 2008 got our first house in 2007 
and we had a boy together. Um, in that relationship, there was a lot of verbal abuse. I had to be around that in my essay experiences. There was a lot of verbal abuse happening in those episodes, as well as just relationships that, um, like my parents were in. My my father wasn't wasn't a very nice man back then, but he's you know a, the best teddy bear, best dad ever now. But back then, you know, we all have our bad times, and that was his bad times and verbal abuse, especially with a man figure um, to this day, not as bad as it used to be, but um, standing up to a man and being vulnerable and um, back then was very, very hard for me to do. I just allowed it to happen. I didn't, I didn't put my foot down. I didn't, you know, latch back out. I just let it come at me and didn't say anything about it. And that's something that ruined my, well, I wouldn't say that my ex-husband was the problem because obviously I was also the problem because I didn't speak up. I didn't tell him, you're supposed to tell your significant other everything about you, especially if you're married. You know, I, I, ne- I never told him any of that. I never told him anything that happened to me. I thought that that is supposed to stay quiet and not talked about and move on with it and just kind of shove it down to the lowest you can and just forget about it. And there's something, something like that you can't forget about. So that affected a lot of my relationships, not only just relate, like being with somebody significantly, but also friendships. And, uh, so that, of course, that marriage didn't last long. We had, you know, a kid together. We're cool to this day. You know, he's remarried. You know, I'm with someone that I absolutely love with all my heart and we can communicate to one another, but it's, it's very hard to, when you're in that type of trauma, that exact type of trauma to really trust anybody. And that's Mm. one thing that was, uh, really hard for me to do. Now I can trust who the fuck, like if someone walks up to me, yeah, what's up, dude? Yeah. I mean, I'm very talkative back then. I was not very talkative would not talk to anybody. I was kind of the quiet person, keep the head down, keep walking, not talk to anybody. Same with me. Yeah, I was like that too. Yeah. And I'll say for our friendship, you know, we developed a friendship uh, at work and we sat this close to one another almost for how many years? Seven? Something like that. I don't know, five, seven. A lot. A lot of years. (laughs) Y'all. And we talked about everything. Um, I mean, we'd hang out after work. We'd go to lunch. We never talked about our trauma. Not once. I don't think many people do, though. It's not, no. it's not normal in society to do that. No. But that's, that's, what, no. that's what's wrong right now is that they were always, I mean, we were taught from our own parents not to speak of stuff behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You don't and air your dirty laundry. No. And, but that's what needs to happen nowadays because if you don't, it's, it's bad shit's going to keep happening to you. And you're just... It's not going to be mentally great for you. Yeah. I think um, talking in public about your life, being very open and vulnerable, which is one of the scariest words, but it's the most powerful. And uh, it says a lot that our leaders and the people who we've followed historically um, push vulnerability down. I think it makes it a lot easier to control um 
a massive amount of people when they don't feel empowered and strengthened. But to be able to talk about the stuff that is happening, it's a beautiful thing about these podcasts, about our friendships, about uh, the healing that we've gone through. It's all because we braved vulnerability. Um, I can, and I can't speak for it, so maybe you can, but your relationship now, your partner allows for you to have that space, to be vulnerable, to be open. And he's non-judgmental. You know he's not going to use the information against you. And I think that's a really important factor if you have a partner, mm-hmm. is for not only you to allow that space for your partner to be vulnerable and Y'all, sometimes I'll speak for women right now. Women don't want to see their partners be vulnerable. If they're men, we, a lot of the times it's more difficult, I would think, for a man to cry openly and to completely cry, like ugly cry, like snot cry (laughs) in front of a woman um, because we need them to be brave and strong and fearless. And so they shut a lot of that down. Would you say there's a difference in, in personalities or because you allowed yourself to be vulnerable. He allowed himself to be vulnerable. How did that go for your partner right now? Vulnerability? That word. (laughs) That word. Yeah. First person who kind of um, started to open up to you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When he started opening up, that's when I started opening up. And then we've just done that since then. Sometimes he goes into the meadow stories where I'm just like, just get to the point. <laughs> He's a wanderer. Yeah, yeah. he does. Um, but um, it's, yeah, it's it's really good to have a partner that you can talk to about anything and not be judged about it. And that's something that I feel that every relationship should have. Because without that, like, it's just, why are you in a relationship? Just for sex? Just to be around each other? just to eat together like you got to have those conversations like I, I mean I'll tell you right now we don't have those long conversations now because we've had so many of them in the years and then every now and then like one will break out like hey let's I had this happen at work today and I'm not liking this but yeah anyways communication huge thing in a relationship is being able to talk to your other half about anything without feeling like you're going to be judged like, I can go in there and tell him what, what my shit looked like, <laughs> you know, in the toilet. He would probably be gross, the, you know, hell out because he hates that stuff. But, I mean, that's stuff that I would just do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. It is a different world. Mm-hmm. Tetra. So my story is I grew up a very shy child, and I think that stemmed mostly from moving around so much. You would think it'd be the opposite with being a military brat, moving around all the time, that I would just be so used to just meeting new people and just introducing myself. But I was just really shy, and I think that was mostly because my life was unstable. I was constantly moving around. I didn't have childhood friends. I also grew up in a culture where, you know, my mom was from a different country and my father was American. So then I had to deal with that, like in the late 80s, early 90s, like you were kind of weird if you're mixed, unlike today. So I think a lot of that caused me to be shy and having a weird name, Tezra, like people were like, well, what the hell is that? It's not like the cool thing. So I always shut down. I think having like every little negative comment that I got, whether it was from my family or from strangers, just kind of 
shot my self-esteem down for whatever reason. So I grew up extremely, like I said, I was really shy, um, had really low self-esteem pretty much until probably my 30s. <laughs> so didn't have my first boyfriend until later on in high school. So didn't have experience with boys. I just kind of kept to myself. I didn't go out much, but I did develop extremely early and started getting attention from boys probably around seventh grade. And going instead of going in one direction where I think most girls kind of become a little promiscuous, they like the attention, I shut down. I did not like the attention. And then I started dressing like a tomboy just to hide my body. I was extremely ashamed of my body, my boobs, my everything curves. I was so ashamed of that until about, I would say, high school, mid-high school, when I had learned to embrace it thanks to a friend that was like, oh, well, you're beautiful, like wear thongs. And sh going a little bit back, my, my both of my parents also, they grew up in very traumatizing childhood experiences that I won't get into because that's their story and not mine, even though I wouldn't say I necessarily had any traumatic experiences when I was younger. Those came a little bit later. Um, I think that kind of stemmed like my mom just... She didn't really know how to love me in the way that I needed to be loved as a child. She has learned that much better now. Like we've healed our relationship in many ways. But when I was a child, I just didn't receive that. So I think that caused a lot of issues as well. My father was also traveling a lot with him being in the military. So he wasn't home a lot. But anytime he was, he was a great dad. It was just that in and out. I think it was this the lack of stability is what I, I craved as a child. I didn't know what was going on so now I'm like really controlling with everything like I like to know what's going on in my life even now to this day I don't like not knowing what's going to happen next which nobody can control that so that's happened I would say also uh, growing up I got into my first relationship the guy that I you know lost my virginity to we were in a relationship for a couple years and I would say that the the trauma that I have experienced has always been from relationships with men Despite having a wonderful father and a fabulous brother, they're both very great men in my lives. The men in my romantic lives having fucking shit. <laughs> so, and so we'll get into that. Um, so my first boyfriend, we won't say his name, if that was a two-year relationship. Um, you know, that was like my first love, I guess you can say. Puppy love, really. Not, you know, I wouldn't say that was genuine love. It was the first boyfriend I had. So that ended as most first relationships do, but it ended with him cheating on me. And not only cheating on me, but also getting the girl pregnant. And I was also pregnant. I was 19. Oh, Tetra. Um, ended up having a miscarriage due to the uh, stress of everything. I was going to college and dealing with him. He kind of switched personalities, it seemed. He was a really nice guy. And then once that was going on, he was just very verbally abusive. And then due to the stress, had a miscarriage, not that many people know that. Um, and then ended that relationship, obviously. How far, how far along were you on the miscarriage? I was only like a couple months, not that long at all. Uh, it's like still, it was very early. I mean, Thanks, it's still very, but, um, you get attached, so, or at least. I mean, I just found it out and I was processing it and then bam, it happened. And then I was so scared to, I didn't go to the doctor, so I just like bled out. And the guy was like, he actually sent me money to get an abortion. <laughs> and then I had already had the miscarriage. I was like, fuck this. I actually bought my me some uh, college books and some clothes. That happened. And then um, I didn't care about being in another relationship. And then eight or nine months after that, I wasn't doing anything with anybody, wasn't dating, wasn't even sleeping with anybody. I was focused on going to school and getting an education. And then I met Glenna. We worked at a lingerie store together, and um, she was like, hey, 
I know this guy. I think he'd be your type, blah, blah, blah. And then that ended up being my future husband. Well, who is now my ex-husband. So I was also very young. I was only 20 years old when um, me and my ex met. I, I had very little experience with relationships. I think some people might have a little bit more experience at 20, but I for damn sure didn't. <laughs> so got into the relationship, didn't know any better. Like I didn't know about, you know, narcissist or love bombing and like moving too fast. I was like, oh, he loves me. He's introducing me to his family and like two weeks of after meeting him and blah, blah, blah. And at six months, he's talking about getting married and all that sh this shit. And Ended up getting married, I'd say, about three years after we met. He ended up joining the military, and I moved with him. My my family was not happy about it, and rightfully so. My mom was totally against the relationship. Um, she give, gave me an ultimatum before we got married, saying that, you know, if, if we continued our relationship, she would disown me. And that ended up happening. I chose my ex-husband because I was in love. What was her reasoning? Um, she saw what the type of person he was, that he wasn't from a good family, that he was not treating me well. He would not be a good husband. We had a very small wedding. It was mostly his family and friends and some of my friends. None of my family was there, um, which, kind of, you know, it really sucked. That's but, so hard. Um, That's extremely hard. It was. It was really hard. I would say early on, looking back as it you know, knowing what I do now, like there was a lot of signs of uh, mental abuse or manipulation, I would definitely say for sure. Whenever we did move to another state, whenever he was in the military, that's whenever he started drinking more. He was um, becoming more controlling. There were moments where he would get really drunk and then there would be uh, some physical abuse that I never told anybody about until recently. So that was really difficult for me to deal with. I was alone in a different state, didn't have family. Lena, you were like the only one that Here really kept in touch with me. Them, hey, stay married, you know. But you didn't know though. You, know. There was no, I was extremely ashamed. And honestly, I kind of block, I did block a lot of that out during that time. The physical abuse didn't really, not that it makes it any better. It didn't last very long. I ended up leaving. I reconnected with my family, with my parents. They came to visit and then shortly after that, whenever I was just sick and tired of his drinking and the multiple versions of abuse, I decided to leave and come back to come back home. He made all these promises, right? Like, oh, I'm going to change, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to happen again. You know, decided to work out the marriage. He got out of the military, bought a house. The physical abuse never started back up, but the mental and emotional abuse continued. And it was, you know... We can always imagine name calling, um, controlling anytime I wanted to go on a girl's trip. It was just like, I wasn't going to fucking regret it. Like every single time you did not call me, you did not text me in timely, like you're a bitch, you're, you know, a piece of shit, this and that. So my life was just tumultuous. Like my brother lived with us for a while. He saw it tell me how bad it was, but of course I didn't want to listen. Like who, who does that? Like who, nobody's going to listen to what other people have to say. Cause I thought I was in love and it was going to be forever. So yeah, you do. You justify yeah. their the behavior that they have. Yeah. And you also kind of, did you blame yourself? Oh, for sure, because it was always my fault, right? And I would say it, was, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't, would say, oh, he didn't love me. I think that he just didn't know how to love right. I mean, it was constantly like breaking stuff and yelling and screaming. And then I had my moments where I just was not 
probably the best person. I wasn't mature. I didn't know how to be vulnerable. I had a lot of my insecurities too. I, I fed into drama that we had in our relationship. I didn't have the self-esteem. I didn't know enough about myself. I played my own part in some of that, but there were a lot of things that happened that, you know, just weren't right. There's always two sides to every story, and, and that's actual truth in life. There's not just one person just like, you know, I said earlier, I used to blame everything on my ex-husband and everybody else around me when it was my fault too. In addition to a lot of the mental and emotional abuse, there are always like moments within the marriage that I never caught him in the act. I never caught or found, I would say, solid proof of infidelity, but there was always something where whether I found, you know, a message or an email or somebody would come to me with concerns of him not being faithful. And I'd, every two years I would find something out. It was very shady. But anytime I approached him, he was just so good denying it, making up whatever story that he could to make me believe him and, and still continue on with the marriage. We'll get to, on to this a little bit later. I have much more left of my story after we talk about mental health journey and the program that we went to. And then I can talk a little bit more about how that led me to finally getting a divorce. Thank you so much for that, Tedra. Courtney, it's time for you, ma'am. About me. My parents separated when I was born. She had custody of me for the first about year and a half to two years of my life. So I think uh, my mom realized shortly after uh, once my dad was gone, that she also didn't want a kid. And it was only after that babysitter called my dad, because uh, my mom hadn't shown up for about two weeks, uh, to come get me. Uh, she didn't know where my mom was. My dad was dating whenever he did come to get me. An amazing woman who took me in as if I was hers. Took me in immediately, even before they were married. Um, started taking me to ballet lessons and dressing me up like her and uh, she she came in and she really developed that relationship that motherly figure that I I did need when my mom my birth mom did enter back into my life she brought in a lot of love at first but she she had it rough too and I don't mind going into her story just a little bit but I don't want to get too deep into it just to explain it is that she went through an adoption agency and she was never adopted. She went from home to home to home. She never had any stability whatsoever. Back then, they didn't treat anybody who went through adoption. Uh, they just really tried to get children adopted as quickly as possible. So my mom was never treated for the abuse that she went under. So anything I say going forward, it's kind of just keep that in mind. My mom did not maintain any stable relationships for very long. And for some reason or another, she felt it was necessary to get married to most of them. She ended up getting custody of me and my brother, partial custody, when we were about five and seven. So she came back into our lives. Things were good for a little while. I had a brother, um, his name was Jordan. Yeah, he was my world, absolute world. I think because he had so much of my personality. I just connected with him, my little buddy. You know, we'd go hang out. So we were out in the country, and I meant we would just wander, you know, wander through the woods, go pick blackberries, um, eat those, stay out as long as possible, uh, build forts. We were kids. We were having a great time. I didn't know a lot about what was going on in the house. 
until things started to get really bad. And even then, as a kid, I didn't know how bad it was. You know, I found out as an adult later on that she and the person she was with at the time were making um, meth and selling it out of the house. And so there was a lot of drug abuse and alcoholism and physical abuse that I was privy to and listened to and saw. And, you know, my mom, she would also initiate a lot of it. Um, Looking back, I could say that there was a lot that I went through that was positive, especially with my dad. With my mom as well, there were many positive memories with my my childhood and my siblings growing up, getting to run around and, and play with the animals and things like that. There was also a lot of things that I've carried with me for years that have caused, you know, a complex post-traumatic stress disorder and probably I'm at my mom's drug abuse that might have contributed a little bit towards my late stage diagnosis of ADHD, the dysgraphia that I have, and or it was just biological. Either way, it was really difficult to get through as a child and having to, you know, pick up my young five-year-old brother or take his hand and pick up my youngest brother. I was 12 years old when all this was happening and to run out of the house into the complete darkness in the woods where, you know, you don't have street lights out there. It was scary. It was pretty scary, but I had to get them away and to act like nothing had happened because we were raised that same way. You don't talk about Bruno. I'm just kidding. You don't talk about that stuff. You don't, yeah. And also I was so afraid. Um, My mom, from what I could tell, she probably had borderline personality disorders, BPD, but a lot of it became about her. And I didn't realize until much later that, that maybe it wasn't my fault that I experienced a lot of the stuff that I did. I, what are those things you experienced? I was emotionally and verbally abused. I was blamed for everything. <laughs> things that, you know, the adults, my parents would do. Um, I was molested by one of her boyfriends. I think my mom was really going through the bouts of some addiction at that point. I just thought my mom slept a lot and that, you know, the curtains were always drawn because the light hurt her head and that we never had food because the shops were too far away. I, you know, you just, you make You try and figure things out as a kid. You do. You do your best, or you just accept it. You don't think too deeply into it until you're an adult, and then when you do, you're just like, damn, that wasn't normal. You know, that's not what a childhood should be like at all, but what is normal anyway. So I had actually written in my diary, because all of this stuff kind of happened over one summer, and I mean... All that happened in one summer? Well, the abuse and everything was happening to her. So she'd run away from the farmer to the trailer park guy. And we were there. I do remember that's when he started to do these little tiny things. I wanted to go to a garage sale. He told me he would give me some money to buy something there. And it was this cute little purse that I really wanted. When I used to tell this story, I used to say I was 14, you know, because I think I wanted to accept that I had more responsibility for everything that went down. You grew up really quick. 
Well, yeah, um, you had to. And I mean, I had an older brother who would protect me, but we were sleeping on like bare mattresses in this, this little room. And I remember my youngest brother, who was just a baby, she had just had him, you know, would sleep in that room in like this little crib. So yeah, I did. I had to raise. So you had a very my sibling long childhood of adulthood, really. Yeah. You never really had a childhood. Yeah. It doesn't sound like you had to jump in and take care of other people or you had to be your own mother, basically. And have a mom and father figure with you consistently. We, my brother and I, my oldest brother and I, were experiencing a lot of abuse at the hands of our birth mom that we didn't really speak about. And we were also conditioned to think that that wasn't abuse. We were conditioned to think that that was friendship. That's how she did it. Um, we were her best friends. We weren't her children. And what I realized later in life is that we weren't her children or her best friends. We were her trophies. So I think the biggest struggle that I had was flipping from going to my birth mother's house where there, was, there weren't any rules. I was then having to transition into what was supposed to be this perfect family. And that was a lot of where I get my, my sense of perfectionism. I like to say that I'm a recovering perfectionist now. So I have a question for you. How did that make you feel of your mother really not giving you that motherly love in those years? Oh, like I wasn't enough. I felt very manipulated. I felt when I confessed unwillingly, really, she found my diary where I had admitted in this writing about being molested by this man. She questioned me about it. And I thought, well, this is where you're supposed to come in and, and help me and protect me. And instead of doing that, she started calling me a liar and then telling me that, well, if it did happen, then you must have done something. Like, what did you do? Like, why are you wanting that? And she started to ask me if I wanted to have sex. And so it was shortly after that, I remember her saying that she was going to take me and my brother home to my father's house. She was going to drop us off and she wasn't going to pick us up again. If we wanted to see her, that we could come and find her when we got older. I felt, this is, should tell you everything, I felt relieved. And it wasn't until later that I realized like I couldn't protect my brothers anymore from the abuse of this molester, from the physical abuse. I, and I remember praying. Um, I feel like I was really conditioned by religion from my other side of the family, from my you know, dad's side of the family and from the church I was raised in to think that if I wasn't perfect, I'd go to hell. Not that they said that ever directly, but that was my belief is like, if you are just, if you don't do everything right, you have to ask for forgiveness. You have to pray. You have to tell God, you have to confess everything every night. If you don't, you could go to hell. And so I did, and I would pray. And I always thought, you know, this is my fault because I did something wrong and this is God's way of punishing me. That is the belief that I had for a very long time is I was, my mom left because I wasn't good enough. And 
I can't protect my brothers because I'm not good enough and they could die and it will be my fault. That's, I think, why it hit me so hard when Jordan was 17 because I did find him. I was older. I was in a relationship and I thought I had my life together and I thought, well, you know what? I don't want to find my mom, but I do want to find my brothers. And through Jordan, I found my mother. Well, I didn't want to, but he gave her my number and she ended up calling me. And I wish I had said more to Jordan at that time when he was still alive. I wish I had questioned the life that he had. And when I found him again, he went from being a seven-year-old boy to being 17. He seemed to have his life together. He was the quarterback of his football team. Um, he was in JV, you know, but he's so handsome, such a handsome young man he grew into, talented and funny, hilarious. He was dating the cutest cheerleader at the time. And I was thinking whenever I found him, like, God, I'm like, I stressed over nothing. And I cried and I prayed over nothing because he's got everything. I mean, I was envious. I judged myself so harshly because I was that band geek. You know, I was similar to Tajra. I was wearing sweatpants, except I didn't develop. <laughs> I was saying that a little bit earlier. I had no boobs, no butt. Well, maybe a butt. I've always had that. But I had really nothing going on. I thought I was pretty invisible growing up, and I liked it that way. I didn't want attention because um, when I got it, I felt like it was so negative. You know, I just didn't. And so whenever I did find Jordan, I was envious of his life, of the life that he'd built up because he got to be popular and funny and everybody loved him. And I was like, okay, kid, you got it. You're good. I don't want to bring you down with my pessimistic, like, let's bring up our childhood and talk about that. Let's talk about what you went through after I left. And I never did. And... He committed suicide. How soon after you guys reunited did, he, did that happen? Pretty soon. About nine months. Yeah. And I fell apart. Mm -hmm. She did. To this day, like, I don't care about how uncomfortable people get mm -hmm. when it comes to asking hard questions, when it comes to being transparent, when it comes to having real internal deep conversations you have to have those conversations because if you don't have those conversations anyone could end up the way that jordan did if i had just asked if i had just mentioned it if i had just braved the vulnerability i feel like he could still be here you can't put that on yeah, yourself you though that, yeah you can't and i did for a long time absolutely did i felt I had been told my entire life that I was responsible. I took the responsibility for everything that happened, including things that other people did. It's why I stayed in my relationships. So my first relationship I got into, I was in high school, together for on and off again over the course of 10 years. He was with me whenever Jordan passed. Whenever I found my mom, he was with me through a lot of it. And I would say... Um, our relationship seemed wholesome, but in the end, um, he was actually diagnosed with narcissism by our, we weren't married, but by a marriage counselor. And I thought, there's no way you're narcissistic. Like, that's just a bunch of baloney. But I really started to think about it throughout the years, and um, it, it did make 
a lot of sense. The fact that I was very used to being the um, in the triangulation of narcissistic parents. I was the invisible child. Kind of what you brought up earlier. What did it feel like to acknowledge that all those years uh, I wasn't loved? I didn't know what love was. I thought love was absolutely conditional. I thought that you had, uh, if you couldn't get love, at least you could find acceptance or receive acceptance um, as some form of security. And that acceptance came through what I could achieve. So it was all based on my achievements. And with someone with a learning disability, that was very difficult for me. Kind of settled into the idea that I would never be good enough, that I could never be perfect enough, and that... Maybe I could just be just fit into the form or mold that somebody else created. That would be that would be good enough. And so that's what I did. And in my relationship, in this 10 year long relationship where I had my amazing son, I really did fit within that mold of being who he wanted me to be, to be docile, to be passive, to be non-aggressive, to not bring up problems and, you know, to accept that if I did bring them up, it was probably my, you know, I was making mountains out of mohills kind of thing. And, and he was, uh, my love language is physical touch. And he did not touch me. After he found out that I was pregnant, he asked if I'd considered abortion. And we'd been together for five years at that point. I had polycystic ovarian syndrome. So they told me early on, I would never be able to have children. So I was really shocked, or at least that it would be difficult to have children. And then for him to ask me to have an abortion was just painful, extremely painful. We ended up separating. I jumped immediately from that relationship into even worse one, where there was verbal abuse, very close to physical abuse. We were together for five years, and I found out towards the end of it, similar to you, Tedra, I felt like maybe there was some cheating going on, but every time I would bring it up or, or think about it or try and find something, I could never, ever find anything. But then came down to it that something slipped. Did actually find physical evidence of him texting a girl. He'd left his iPad at home and my son was playing on it whenever a text message from this girl came through telling him what color her panties were. And so I confronted him about it, and he raced what home. What color were they? Orange. Mm. <laughs> Gross. What a dirty slut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugly color, by the way. Gotta have pink, man. Yeah. Pink or red. I like black. Black's good, too. Matches my soul. <laughs> he raced home. He was panicking. It's probably the only time I've ever seen him fully panic. It was fantastic. Nice. <laughs> 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 Courtney, just don't, don't hang up. Don't. I was like, all your shit's going out on the yard. (laughs) And it didn't, because I'm not that brave. (laughs) I wasn't. found out he ended up confessing to 14 women over the course of five years that he'd been in. And y'all, this person who texted the color of her underwear, if you're out there, girl, I am so sorry. I hope you didn't end up with him, because he's an idiot. (laughs) Uh, Change your panties. Change your panties. Go Go to black. To this day, I couldn't tell you if I was the main girl, the main bitch, or if she was. And Glenn will tell you, like, him and I were so volatile. Uh, We broke up and got back together so often. I meant, I can't, you told me to get away from him. And like you said, I just didn't want to hear it. 
after I found out about the cheating is whenever I reached out to Glenna and um, started talking to her about it because I found a part of myself that I had never found before, which is I uh, got so angry about um, some things that were going on that I punched the wall several times. I just talked the breath out of my lungs. I was just past point of reason and I lost it and I lost all control. And then I ended up blaming myself for that. I, I was reaching out to Glenna at the time and I ended up coming to stay with you. And that's actually when we started really talking about um, a, a program. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to episode two, part one. Continue on to episode two, part two. See y'all there.